0: Track from it all. Oh, thank you, Ed. You want me to take a selfie with this? Is that it? While I'm preaching?
1: <laughs>
0: Ed's the techno guy. It's a selfie of your voice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, our text today will be actually from Luke chapter 20. You can turn over there. And uh, I do like this text because it's uh, what I call sort of a tweener text. We've done a lot of work moving forward here. Jesus, of course, as we know, is uh, had the triumphal entry. He has been teaching in the synagogues. And uh, he seems to, at this part of his ministry, bumped into these religious leaders in Jerusalem, not surprisingly. And over and over again as he's teaching, he's confronted by scribes, the elders, uh, the chief priests, and the Sadducees. And these are all people that are part, part of this leadership group. And so much of his ministry early on starts up in the northern end, of uh, what's known as Judea And he's up there preaching to the common folk But now, I think you're really beyond the triumphal entry Coming into the temple It's time to confront, really, leadership The structure of the current religious movement that's there And so it's not surprising He keeps bumping into these guys over and over again Now, before we read the text here I did want to say I'm going to maybe uh, dedicate this sermon this morning To Sean and Joyce So they kind of left, I think yes. On uh, Friday, Saturday They're going to parts unknown and we can't announce it yet, can we yet? Why not? Why not? Yeah. All right, they're going to Cleveland. No they're not. They're going to Pittsburgh. Uh, Staying Pittsburgh. in the ACR. So that's an exciting thing. But we unloaded his trailer on Thursday night, put it in storage. I think they're gonna reload it again. I don't even know what the deal is there, but please pray for Sean and Joyce. Their hearts have been right. But because I want to, you know, dedicate this sermon to Sean and Joyce, their hearts for the kingdom, I thought I'd do something that Sean was famous for early on in particular, use a lot of props. Ah. Remember that? Sean had props all the time, so that's what we're going to do. be made clear. So we'll pick up our text here in uh, in Luke chapter 20 in verse 48. It says, while all the people were listening, well, there yet? Good. All right. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues. And the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As you looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on And some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what you see here, the time will come, but not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So you can see how this is something of a tweener text. We just left Jesus with this messianic psalm where he's speaking about, uh, the lordship that he brings. And then in a minute, we're going to find out about Jesus telling really about the destruction of Jerusalem that's going to occur in just a few short years. But in between here, we've got this, this, this interaction with Jesus, with his disciples. And our first point today is that Jesus is sitting. And this is the point to the chair here. You know, it's one thing, I think, sometimes to come into church and to preach. And I stand up here and I bring a message or Ed will come up and do the same and we'll bring a message and there's a formality to it. And there's a distance that's created. But Jesus here, we find out in chapter 21, verse 1, it says he looked up and he sees these people putting their offerings in. I think Jesus' typical, traditional teaching position was seated. seated. He had a chair like this, or possibly sat on a booth, and he would teach the people. Now, my point to that is to say that I think that this indicates to me the extra authority that Jesus has. It's one thing to come into a place of honor and to be able to stand and to preach. But if in casualness and comfortability I take off my coat and I sit down in the chair over there and I start to teach you, it indicates something about the authority that I have. In my house, if you came over to my home and I invited you over for dinner, I'd expect you probably to come dressed up at some level, right? You'd have on maybe some nice clothes. You certainly wouldn't have food stains on your shirts. But on the other hand, if I invited some of my kids over to my house, if they came over, they'd sit on the sofa, they might take their shoes off, They'd put their feet up on the sofa. They'd fall asleep on the sofa. They'd have football on the TV. They wouldn't ask me permission to get the remote control. They would feel very comfortable in my home. First thing they might do would be open the refrigerator door and say, what's for eats? What can I have in here? I'm a little bit hungry, mom and dad. And then if they're really comfortable, which they are, they might even complain to my awesome wife and say, where are the cookies? There's always cookies in the jar. There's no cookies here. This comfortability indicates a position in the family. If you came to my house, you're more than welcome to do all of those things. But I know that you're cultured and you've been brought up and you wouldn't do those things because you have some sense of, some, some sense of respect and honor for my house and the things that I have. Not that you need to. Again, come to my house, do those things. So we see a shift here in Jesus' demeanor. You know, when he was younger and uh, he went was lost on this caravan back to his hometown and his parents couldn't find him, they came back to find him, and they found him in Jerusalem. And what was his answer when they asked him, why have you done this to us? He says, wouldn't you know that I would be here in my father's house? He understood that this was where he belonged. This was his comfortable spot. And for Jesus to sit in the temple and to teach in this casual way, to me, believe it or not, gives him greater authority than it would have been if he would have been like the prophets of those days that would stand on a soapbox and preach the word of God. Theoretically. And so it affects how I take this message when I I hear it, when I read it. And believe it or not, I think for those of us who read these texts, sometimes we are always tempted to go after things that maybe aren't as important. And we focus on things that are said that don't really bring home the true message that Jesus is meant to bring. And how you view Jesus is really going to influence how you take the messages he speaks moving forward through this text that we're going to study out today. If you don't acknowledge the authority of Jesus, you will not understand the message that He's about ready to bring. Come on. If you don't understand that He really is, when He comes in and drives out the money changers, a few chapters previous, what does He quote? He says, "My house was meant to be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of robbers." Now, certainly that that that, that scripture is dealing with God, but I think Jesus claims it Himself. This is Jesus's house. This is where Jesus lives. Jesus has all authority. Jesus has the authority of God. Unless you're willing to acknowledge that, you're going to miss the point of this text. Because we've got to be humble and sit at Jesus' feet as he's seated in the temple and hear what Jesus has to say. Where is your heart this morning? Are you willing to submit? Because so many of us aren't. And we come at Jesus and we ask a lot of questions of Jesus because we think of him as something other than the Messiah. Other than the one who has authority in the temple. If we think of Jesus as a great scholarly philosopher, we think of something other than who he is, we will not understand what he's about ready to teach us here. You've got to make a decision in your heart who he is, or else you will not understand the text that we're about ready to cover. Not that it's so deep. That's never the issue. It's the issue of you making a decision to submit yourself to Christ and what he's teaching and what he's saying. That is the issue. Amen? Point number two, and really, I think overall for the text here, Jesus teaches. And what does Jesus teach? The big idea in this text to me is one word. It's called value. Now, that's why I brought this. I I eat cereal every morning for breakfast. How about you? And one of my favorite is shredded wheat, bite-sized shredded wheat. And I actually like the ones that have the different flavors on the outside. And even the fruit in the middle shredded wheat are good as far as I'm concerned. Because shredded wheat is very healthy for you. It keeps you regular. It lowers your blood pressure. It doesn't matter how much sugar they coat that shredded wheat with. It is very good for you. And so that's why I eat it every morning with a bowl of milk. Milk has lots of protein. And they advertise right on the box here that they have all these grams of protein, quote-unquote, if you add the milk in parentheses. So I know it's good for me. I eat it every day. And so when I shop for my, my food, sometimes I shop at Walmart. And at Walmart, they have a special great value brand, right? So that must say an awful lot about how good this cereal is compared to others that are out there, like Post, maybe, some of these other lower grade kind of things. Walmart has great value cereal, you see what I'm saying? This is why I shop at Walmart. This text, believe it or not, is all about value. I'll show you something else that has great value, you ready? And I'll let you see, you guys can tell me what this is when I pull it out. What is that? iPod. How many of you guys want this iPod? Okay. You guys are really old. Whoever raised their hand is like behind. You know, a cell phone does about five times more than this iPod ever did, right? But back in the day, this chromey, silvery iPod was one of the most coveted inventions around. It really had value. It goes to show you, yeah, you remember that? To have an iPod slip this in your pocket, you could feel it shiny in there, you could put these earbuds in, and I mean, you felt like you were cool. Again, back to this idea of what had value. This was what it was all about. But that's not the kind of value that Jesus is talking about. And here, we made this decision to understand that Jesus is God, and He's going to teach us in this text here what really has value. And it's not our friendly cereal box here. It's not the food that's inside of that. It's not even the iPad which comes and goes. We all know these things. But Jesus makes a point to teach us what really does have value. Let's take a look. And the first part we're going to look at here as Jesus teaches is exactly what he says doesn't have value. Now for my second prop. Okay. Now this is not for you. This is for me. Because as I teach this text, it's important that I look at myself in the mirror when I teach this. Because I think this has a lot of application to Bill Throne's life.
1: Come on, bro.
0: And I think you'll understand as I walk forward with this. Come
1: on, Come on, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good
0: point. In Luke chapter 20, the last part of verse 47, Jesus says, They devour widows' houses and for, such, for show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Now, if you read another translation, uh, pick one, even in the Greek, most severely isn't the way it's it's translated. It's actually translated as greater punishment. So you have normal sinners like Scott over here. Scott's a pretty good sinner right over there. If you need some help, he's the guy. Uh, You know, we got another good sinner. Oh, Elliot's another good sinner over here. But I think what Jesus is stating here is that these teachers of the law, these scribes, will get greater punishment than Elliot or with Scott would with regard to their sin. I think to myself, that's a a challenging passage of scripture. So uh, out of all the people, Jesus is stating that these guys are really going to get it. As we look through the previous uh, couple of verses here, let's list out exactly what it is that they're so guilty that Jesus is so upset about. It says, beware the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes. Sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? They love to be greeted in the marketplaces. They love to have the most important seats in the synagogue. In other translations, it says the front row. Amen, Ed? Amen, awesome. No, I'm kidding. Just teasing. <laughs> the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Now, that does sound pretty bad. But the last one is it says they make lengthy prayers. Such men will get even greater punishment. <coughs> Sounds a little odd, doesn't it? It actually doesn't sound like those are really bad sins. I read this scripture and I go, Wait, where, where's murder? Where's rape? What, what about what about genocide? What what about people who are really doing bad things? Those?" And I betray in my heart right off the bat again what I value and what I don't value. And the reason the mirror is up here for Bill Throne here is because I think like these guys, I look at those things and I actually enjoy those things. Avery Lee and I were discussing the sermon last night. She goes, well, I've got to be truthful with you. You know, if I do a good message and people come up and say, great message, that feels pretty good. I go, well, you deserve worse punishment, Avery No, I didn't say that, but I could have. But she's not unlike me. I, I like my places at the synagogues. I don't mind being on the front row. I like it when people say, well, what's the issue here? What's the root of this? What's the depth of this? Well, Jesus is saying the problem is that you value self way too much. This is what the point of the mirror is. It is about self. All these things relate back to me, about what I get, what I look like, what I feel like, about who I am. And who better to talk about self than an American in the 21st century? And that's and me. Frank and Vanita and Avery and I went out to dinner on Friday night. and Part of our discussion the spiritual as Frank and Venita obviously are. It boiled back down to this same point, coming from a little different angle. You can call it secular humanism if you want. You can call it, you know, postmodernism if you want. You can come up with all the fancy titles to it. But today's culture tells you that you're the most important person in the whole wide world. And nobody else is more important than you. And it, it reveals itself in these kind of attitudes. And the reason why Jesus is so emphatic about his warning here, which he states, listen, you know, watch out. When Jesus uses that word, that's meant to snap us into attention and go, all right, there's something really serious right here. I've got to watch out. And why would that be? Because I think those things are contagious. I think these attitudes have a huge impact on people around you. And we know it's true because we follow these popular sports stars. We follow these people on TMZ. We follow these people and we go, wow, it is all about them. It's infectious. We live our lives the same way as the world around it. You've heard it in scriptures over and over and over again and from sermons over and over and over again. This is what wars against Christian values, you and me. That self is of higher value than anything else. And today, you know, Frank and Vinita and I were talking, you know, I think that the baby boomer parents in here are probably the most guilty of all of us in terms of building that into our own children by the name of self-esteem from the time they're little kids to the time that they come over to your house and check in the refrigerator they're the most awesome thing in the world they're the best thing in the world and it's all about them having self-esteem because self rules and is number one and Jesus says you better watch out you better watch out because if your life is focused around yourself you deserve greater punishment convicting isn't it those are the things not to do and again, I brought the mirror here for your benefit and for mine. When I look at myself in the mirror, I know that I'm as susceptible as you are. Probably more susceptible because I have an opportunity to come up here and to preach and to teach. And right. i got the kind of job where I stand in front of people and I look in the mirror and I go, Wow, Bill, I go home at night and I think, Wow, I've got to take warning to what Jesus is teaching here. Yeah. Or else my value system is going to revolve around the exact wrong thing, which is self. How about you, Christian? Mom, now, what does Jesus value? Let's go to the next text. We love this story, and this is our contribution talk, right, in one sense. Verse 21, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now, firstly, I want to point out that Jesus, like usual, has this phenomenal sense of timing. And just like Sean, and maybe me, he has a great... A great ability to use examples. I bring a mirror out. I've got my value box. i got my chair right up in here. Jesus is talking about these teachers of the law. And he says they got lengthy prayers. They wear flowing robes. These guys love to be greeted in the marketplace. They want the best seats in the house and the best banquet. And they devour widows' houses. Now, we don't even know what that means, quite honestly. I've read a commentary or two. And they, they go, well, we're not sure. Maybe they lost all their property. Maybe that the religious structure of the day demanded of them to give, 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 give until it drove them into poverty and they didn't have a husband any longer to help provide for them. Now that does sound serious to me. There's enough admonitions in the Old Testament that we're supposed to take care of the widows. And I pray that we do. But it's neat to me that Jesus, as he's sitting talking, having this talk, and everybody's going like, wow, he's really giving it to those guys. Jesus looks up and he says, why, look, here's a whole poor widow right here. You see the tie-in? It's like they devour widows' houses, and oh, by the way, here's a widow that's so broke, all she has is two small copper coins. And she just put them into the temple treasury. Wow. It's such a cool idea of Jesus having stand up right before them an example of really where our sin goes. Because the sins that you and I have, sometimes we think they're sins of the heart. We go, Oh, it's just pride, it's just me. And you know, besides being contagious, what you do affects other people. And you can get so self-righteous that you will even do things that are immoral and feel justified in doing them. I deal with a lot of people, and I deal with a lot of people with different moral values. And I don't know too many people at all who live outside of their own moral values. It's just where their moral values line up. Does that make sense? We all have an idea of what right and wrong is, and we all live within those confines of what right and wrong is. But if you get off track in terms of what you value, you'll even do things that are outside of normal moral boundaries and think okay about it, much like these these, uh, teachers of the law probably did. But here this widow, we see the consequence of their actions. She's got two small copper coins. Jesus lifts her up and says, you know what's of great value in God's sight? Her. This woman is of great value in God's sight. Look at her heart. She's willing to sacrifice to God. The very the thing she has to live on. These two small copper coins she's willing to give them. Oh, man, I love that widow woman. That woman is of value to God. That woman loves me. That woman is, ah, she can't wait to come and express that gratitude and that love for who she is by giving all that she has to live on. Our contribution talks typically touch on this point, and they rightfully do. When we give our contributions, is it that same kind of gratitude? Is it that same kind of overwhelming sense of, man, God, mm, let me give this to you because you mean so much to me. We understand the irony here, don't we? That here's the system that theoretically has deprived her of all of her wealth to start with, and yet she still continues to give to it.
1: Wow! Yeah.
0: That the temple itself, the system of leadership in those days, have made her who she is, and yet she gives to it. She gives to God through. it, And it's a great point sometimes, I think, when we wonder about contribution. Where does the money go? Well, you know, on one level, does it really matter? I mean, seriously, right? I mean, does it really matter? But what if the minister's getting paid too much money? And you're not going to give to God because you got a bone to pick with the ministry salary? Not that that's an issue. But you follow what I'm saying? This woman here comes up and God looks at that and goes, well, awesome. This guy over here, this woman here, this is what I value. Now, I want to point out something here. That on level one, if we look at this widow and we say God values her sacrifice and her contribution and her her, her faithful giving here. I would suggest to you that Jesus and God value her more as a person. A person. See, we get wrapped up in the do's and the don'ts sometimes and what we think is the right thing to do. we think, well, gosh, someone should help that poor widow woman. And that would be the Christian thing to do. But Jesus doesn't get up off of his chair to go help her, does he? Why doesn't Jesus turn around and go, hey, Judas, you're handling the money bag? Why don't you go over and give this poor woman? She's got nothing to live on. Give her some money. You see, we do this with ourselves. And we really fall into the same trap that the teachers of the law did earlier on. And we do these benevolent things sometimes, and we do them because of the same reasons that the teachers of the law did what they do, to make themselves feel good about living out a religious life. Now, maybe you're not following me just yet. I'm suggesting to you that the actions themselves are not what God honors and values. It's the heart underneath it that animates those actions that God is looking for. You see, if you value... Let me give you an example that's really simple to understand. If your best friend needs a ride home from work, you're there because you value the friendship and you value the person. If a homeless person asks you for money on the side of the road, you may give them money out of a a sense of impulse or because it's the Christian thing, but you don't necessarily value that person. I think so many times what we do in terms of benevolent or in giving has to do with how we feel about it. It gets back to this idea of self. It gets back to what we think is obedience to God and we take a self-righteous view of ourselves as having been obedient versus understanding what God's driving at is the value of the person. You think about all the folks that Jesus interacted with. Some he healed and some he didn't. And we think sometimes it's like, oh, God wants me to interact with folks that are blind. God wants me to interact with lepers. lepers, Folks that need to get healed. Poor people. I need to get out there and kind of help those people. And I'm saying, no, God's telling you, you need to value them.
1: Yeah.
0: At some heartcore level, you've got to see the humanity in every person. Sinner or non-sinner alike. And you've got to be like God. And you've got to sit back and go, whoa, I've got to get my head wrapped around this. And trust me, this is a more difficult exercise than you think it is. Yeah. And if you have a challenge for the next week from this sermon, it's to think through this idea. The people that I see on the streets, do I value them? The way that God values them. Do I see the individual? Do I see the soul? Do I see the person there? Do I love that person for who they are? Take a shot at it. See if what I'm saying is not true. I think the real, the, the real secret for us to be like God is to understand to add value to people themselves. You know, I think it cuts both ways. Sometimes for us, we don't see the value God sees in us. Now, I don't know, you know, maybe there's those of us that are accused personality types and we run around thinking we're not worthy. And, we, and our Christianity is animated by that as well. It's a negative thing, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not just we want and sinned and then we feel bad about ourselves. We live a life where we go, I don't believe God really loves me. I don't really believe that God has value, sees value in my life. And so we come to church and we really are not contributing. We're not giving. We're not out of ourselves because we think we have nothing to offer. Or we don't serve the way that we could. And this isn't, a, this, I'm not imploring you to serve or to give at church. I'm just suggesting that if you're one of those people, you need to ask yourself, how do I see God's view of me? For this widow, for her to be there and to have Jesus come up, she didn't know that he was watching her. I don't think he heard her. But I don't think she understood how God viewed her. She valued her relationship with God both ways. And think about that this coming week for that person. God loves you, thinks the world of you, because of who you are. My third point here is what's really of value is Jesus himself. Now, let's read here in verse 5. It says, some of the disciples are remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, as for what I see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. It's another great example here where there's a, there, there, there's a... Here's a demonstration of people who don't really get it. Jesus just gets done having this, uh, this, this short talk. Sees the widow, right? The woman is, is putting her two small copper coins in. There, the contrast to that, of course, is these rich people that are throwing in large amounts of money. And Jesus commends the widow, but seems to condemn the rich people who are putting large amounts of money in. And so then the next thing you hear is one of his disciples, his very follower... Remarks, says, look at the temple. Look at the beautiful gifts that have been given that adorn the temple, and think about how awesome that is. They're dedicated to God. So you can imagine on the side of the temple wall, there's a plaque right there that says, This plaque dedicated in honor of the widow who put in two very small. No, that's not what it says, right? What's it say? It says, Here's a plaque devoted to Joseph Bar Jonah, the great contributor to the rebuilding of the temple, right? Just like what we see today in hospitals everywhere, don't we? You know, if you're a big contributor, you get a big hospital wing. And I guess you've got to have, what, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars to get one of those named after you. Even on NPR, right? If you guys listen to NPR because you're trying to get away from the rest of the noise, you know, they come on and they go, hey, listen, if you really want to live a life forever, have you heard those commercials? You need to set up an endowment for NPR. That's what they say on there. They say, you can, and they bring up examples you got Bob Jones was a welder at the Norfolk Naval Shipyard. And Bob Jones and his wife put together this thing, and so his name lives on forever now at NPR, and yours can too if you just give this endowment. Wow, that's awesome. Now, if you're like me and you're really generous, you might get a brick. You ever seen those? <laughs> the Bill and A. Relief brick. Might cost me 500 bucks, but you get the brick on the Walk of Fame. Go to the Sandler Center in Virginia Beach. You'll see a bunch of them down there. I'm not sure what it is, but that's supposed to make me feel like I'm really valid in life. But that's what these guys are looking at. You talking about missing the whole point. They look up and they go, Jesus, I, he must have been just shocked. It's like you just didn't see this thing with the widow and you didn't understand what I just said about the rich people. The first thing out of your mouth is like, what a cool temple. Wow, look at that. It's awesome. (laughs) Jesus is like, you're missing the big picture. The whole point of this exercise.
1: That's right. Come on.
0: Come on, hang with me just a little bit. And This is one of his disciples to boot. As we read through this text, I think the one big thing we can miss here is that actually Jesus, Jesus himself, Jesus Christ is the big picture idea for us. He is the one that has great value, And when he leads into this idea of the temple getting destroyed, we understand that this this, this expression of God and who he is is about ready to come to an end if it hasn't come to the end already. The previous chapters in Luke have all spoken to that very emphatically, very prophetically, very directly. The temple's going to be destroyed. And I know Ed's going to do a great job next week talking this through. What's going to be left What gets raised after three days after the destruction of the temple is going to be Jesus himself. And we sit at Jesus' feet here today, and we think of him as a good teacher, and we take away some good ideas and some good lessons, but don't give him the honor that's going to be due him when the temple's destroyed. We will have missed the real big picture. Because unless you embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Master, you will never be able to embrace what truly has value in God's sight. And that's the challenge for you and me today. We need to look at our own lives and our own, the way we live ourselves, our own characters and who we are. We need to say, what do I really value in my life? As we leave the sermon this morning, as I left this text, I have to ask myself, what's of value to me? And unfortunately, for too long, it's been these flowing robes and these seats in the and the banquets and the greeted in the marketplace kind of a thing. And I've got to change that and become more like Christ. And as I look at this widow, I've got to understand. How I view people and value them has to reflect God's character, not my own. I've got to give and ascribe people the value that they're due. And lastly, I've got to understand that the temple, the religious complex, is about ready to come crashing down. And all that will remain is Jesus himself. Many years ago when I made that decision to make Jesus Lord of my life, the most important decision I make, but I need to make it again tomorrow. Jesus has got to be Lord. He's got to have the primary value—not my box of cereal, not the iPod, not my personal feelings, not my impressions about myself, not my ego—but Jesus. I pray for you this morning. You can make that same claim. Thank you so much for your attention. I appreciate it. What uh, what we'll do now is we'll we'll have a prayer for the uh, the contribution and. uh, Amen. God, uh, we, we thank you for the example of the widow woman. And I, I don't want the power of her story to be lost on me. And God, it's an incredible thing to think that she had the type of faith to give all that she had to give, live on. Lord, just that was it. It's two small copper coins. Not knowing what was going to happen next. But yet I know that reflects her heart. Her heart towards you. The relationship that she had towards you. God, I pray, Heavenly Father, that I like her. Can really be devoted and committed, and see the value of my relationship with you, and have it be expressed through the contributions I give. And I love Thank you it. in Jesus' name, amen.
1: As the pastor Trace will be singing "God Is So Good." God. Yeah. Amen.